Perfect Balance Healthcare presents Lick, Stick, and More with your host, Dr. Nandita Kudi. Join me to explore the minds of thought leaders as they share golden nuggets on the impact of faith integration in practice, professional development tips, and innovative solutions to bring you beyond ordinary healthcare. Hey, y'all. Welcome in for another episode with me, your host, Dr. Nandita Kudi. I have with me today, Mr. Alexander Black, and he is a financial assistant, and he is very, very good at his job, very personable, and I'm excited to share him with you um, to talk a little bit about some of the things that we might be contemplating as we enter different work arenas and different environments and um, just kind of showing the benefits of having a financial advisor. I know when I first embarked on my journey as a pharmacist, one of the best things I did was get myself a financial advisor and he was instrumental in my success and continues to be. And I met Alex recently and I think he would be a great addition to my team to help to add value to that. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Black here to share with us a little bit about his background and expertise in this space. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I actually, we get along really well. I'm glad that we met. Um, you know, for myself, uh, I've been in the industry for about six years um, and actually kind of quasi practicing for about 12 since 2010. Uh, before that, I was a corporate accountant. So it's always been numbers for me with, uh, you know, two kids and a wife of 14 years. It's uh, the things that we did I didn't even realize were correct back in the past have really been instrumental to how I guide my clients, young or old. Um, It's all full circle. Yeah, absolutely. And Alex, when we first met, I was venturing into a program in collaboration with a physician where I would be building out a really, really cool project and model. Mm -hmm. And I was looking and kind of just testing the water to see where the opportunities were for venture capitalism. But I had to do a little bit of research on that because I did not have an FA readily available to explain to me what is the difference between venture capitalism and angel investment? The, so the difference, the biggest difference between the two of an angel investor and venture capitalist um, is really the structure of the two, right? So your venture capitalists are really firms or, or groups um, that can go in and, and invest in startups and can be held within hedge funds and pension funds and different things like that it's because they're, they're really a company. Um, where an angel investor, kind of the same thing, they'll put money into startups or, or companies that are struggling and, and they want to seek a profit, but they're really an accredited investor. Um, an accredited investor has is, is got specific things that they have to check with their net worth income and amount of money that they can actually invest. Um, but that's the two biggest things. And I know we were looking at the venture capital side of things because that was the firm um, side. And, and yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun little project. Okay. So I have a question. Say I'm starting with a new company mm-hmm. and they present me with benefits and I'm looking at this package and I might understand, you know, the healthcare aspects of it as a healthcare practitioner, I might be able to understand, okay, this is what the different policy opportunities are for me with in network versus out of network opportunities. And then I get to the section where it talks about 401k. Okay. So it may say something like, okay, employer match 100% of the first 4% contributed immediately 100% vested. Oh yeah. That's a lot of words, isn't it? Like when, when, you, when I go to the pharmacy and I'm like, 
what's coinsurance and what's deductible and how much, <laughs> just tell me what do I need to pay? Um, <laughs> you know, and but, so like I, the way we were talking about this before the recording and we were saying, you know, like to me, the average person says, and something's red, it's red. And I'm like, as a, as a scientist, I'm like, well, it's actually every color, but red because red's being reflected to your eye and that's what you're able to perceive. And therefore things that are red are actually every color, but red. And Alex and is just looking blow. at me like, and I'm like, well, that's how I feel when it comes to finance. So <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I will tell you that it's, I've, I've walked through this with many people. It's not something that, that anybody should feel ashamed about not knowing. Um, you know, again, this is all I've ever known. This is what I was, was really groomed to do since college. Um, but when you look at your 401k and it states something like that, your, your matching portion, that's what the company is going to put in there for you. So if it says that it matches the first 4%, that is saying that as long as you put in 4%, they'll match that four. Now, let's say you put in 10 they're only going to put four in there unless there's a hyphen, they'll put 50% of the next two. So that means they'll give you a four and then 50% of the next 2%. So you'll end up getting 5% in total of your 10% contribution added in from the employer. Now, wait, wait, Alex. I'm, I'm originally from the South. Okay. I'm a little slow. All right. 4% of what? Are you talking about my salary? So yes, we're talking about your salary. So, so if you put in 10% of your salary, they'll match 4% of your salary putting okay. in. So that this, yes, that is the number that. that they're driving. Yep, yeah, that's the number they're driving salary. <laughs> <laughs> now, another good question you had was, what did it mean by 100% vested? So mm -hmm. there are things that are called vesting schedules in the 401k land, and it depends on what the company does. They can go all the way to six years for it and give you a gradual type of vesting. So how much money can you take when you leave the company? Mm -hmm. um, so in your case, if it says 100% vested day one, that means that every dollar they put in, no matter when you leave, it could be 30 days into your job. If they put money in that 401k for you, you can take that money with you to your next job. I see. And so, and that was another question I had. So you go and you invest all this money with this company, and then you go to another company that has a 401k program, mm -hmm. you're able to transfer that from one mm -hmm. company to the next. And it's not like you're starting over or having to figure out what you're doing with those funds as you leave. Right. So anytime you leave a company, you actually always have three choice and a possible fourth. It's just a tax deferred account that within the IRS's eyes, now if it's pre-tax, you don't pay taxes on that money until you withdraw it in retirement. Um, then you have sometimes if the company is, is uh, gracious enough, they have written in a Roth 401k. Mm -hmm. And then the Roth, you don't get your tax break today, but then it's tax-free to you for the rest of your life. Um, so you, you know, generally speaking, you can have one or the other. Your first choice is generally you can leave it there depending on your balance and what the plan says. So you leave a company, you just want to leave it there and not think about it. Generally speaking, a lot of times you can do that. Uh, another what thing you could do is, is put it in an IRA. So an IRA is an individual retirement account, something you can hold at just about any brokerage or bank, and you would roll it into that. So there's no tax consequences for you. It stays tax deferred, which means that you just you wait until you pull it out to pay the taxes. 
Um, the third option you always have is you can withdraw that money and put it in your checking account. Now, if you're under 59 and a half, then you're going to pay a 10% penalty to Uncle Sam. It's not the 401k. It's going to Uncle Sam. And then you're also going to pay your income taxes because they're going to count as ordinary income. So generally speaking, I tell my clients, you know, if you, if you end up withdrawing it, you can kiss at least 35% of it gone, if not all the way up to 45%, depending on where you're at in your income levels. And then obviously the fourth one is that if the company you go to accepts rollovers, you can roll it over into that plan itself. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's do a fun exercise here. Let's say I'm trying to negotiate how I get paid um, mm-hmm. by this company. And I'm looking at the difference between getting paid twice a month or every two weeks, which may sound like it's the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's not, right? What's the difference? So, I mean, the difference is really your pay frequency. Um, so, and again, it really depends on if you're an hourly, you know, person or if you're salaried and it also depends on how many hours you're working. So, you know, when you're going bi-weekly, you get 26 pays in the year. Um, I remember back when I had my first accounting job, it was a bi-weekly pay. And the greatest thing was that I still made the same amount of money for the year, right? Because I was salaried. So, you know, my salary was what it was at the end of the year. My W-2 said the exact same amount, no matter how I was getting paid. However, I had budgeted my bills on the two pay system because you only get two months out of the year where you get three. So then when I got that third pay in one of those months, it was like a big old bonus for me. And so that's where, you know, granted, you're not getting paid more, but if you budget on a two-pay system and you're being paid bi-weekly, it almost feels like you do get paid more throughout the year because that third pay, those two months, ends up being basically a bonus for you, which right. feels you're getting good. getting paid 26 times versus 24 times. Right, right, okay. exactly. Now, here I had an employer where they would change, like we had a payroll calendar, Mm-hmm. Where there was different days on every month that we would get paid. Oh man, <laughs> that, that accountant had to have such a headache. <laughs> and I couldn't help but to think, now nah, I'm definitely getting screwed here somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we couldn't pit our finger guess, on how <laughs> it was a payroll calendar, and like yeah. some months we were getting paid on the 14th and the 28th, and then other months it was like the second and like the 25th. It just did not make any sense. Like whatsoever. Tell me now, what is the difference between a bush fund and a hedge fund and a tree fund? (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. (laughs) I was listening to Tony Robbins and he does this great recording called unshakable. I think it's a book too, but I was listening to the audiobook, and he was advising against investment in a 401k and towards S and P 500 index. What is that? What does S and P stand for? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the first part of that, the 401k, that's really an account. So I'm not sure what he was getting at with that, but the S&P 500 is your standard and poor's 500. So it's basically an index, a group of of investments or companies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's 500 companies. It changes. Yeah, it does change. They take, they do take companies in and out, Um, you know, back, what was it? uh, Maybe a year and a half or two years ago, Tesla got put into the S&P 500. 
I do not remember who they replaced, um, but it is, it's a standard and poor's 500 list and not necessarily top 500 companies. Um, you know, they kind of have their own ratings of, of who they allow in and out. Um, but it's kind of a broad based index for people to follow of what the market looks like. Yeah. I know one of the things that was presented to me by a pharmacist when I first started working was the idea of getting life and disability insurance, but having life insurance be accessible as a retirement strategy as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, trying to get to the zero tax range is, uh, and now they have to be set up correctly and they have to be for the right investor. Um, but there are ways that you can utilize life insurance for retirement. Um, you know, th there's actually a case, uh, Jim Harbaugh, the University of Michigan's coach, um, just look up what his deferred compensation package is. It's mostly life insurance. Um, you know, so there, there are definitely ways to save for retirement in those avenues. Now, generally speaking, you have already exhausted all of your other avenues to save for retirement before you get to that because you still have the cost of insurance for that product. So, you know, if you put a hundred bucks into it, it's not like the whole hundred dollars are going towards retirement because you still have that life insurance aspect of it as well. Yeah, and definitely you can get with Alex to find out more about what the difference is between whole and term insurance and where, where the opportunities are for that and why you should lock in earlier than later. Another thing um, to consider is that yes, a lot of employers will offer life and disability insurance, but read into it a little bit because the benefit there may not be as great as you thought it was, and it may not be something that is sustainable for you. And on another thing to consider is that self-pay for benefits sometimes may be more beneficial. And so trying with your state and trying with different programs first to see where those differences are before agreeing to an employer contract, I think is also very wise and something mm -hmm. that I only started doing recently and found to be uh, extremely beneficial in providing better value for what I was paying for and um, also for being able to save a couple of dollars here and there as well. So yeah, definitely, you know, sometimes employers, I've heard horror stories where beneficiaries have had disability insurance and come time to cash in on it, the employer will say, well, you weren't following protocol and therefore mm -hmm. we're not going to pay that out. And so it's something to consider as you move forth into new relationships and are considering how to secure yourself. Well, and there's also, you know, not to get too extensively into it, but there are also different types of disability insurance, you know, so there's the own occupation or just, just two of them would be own occupation and just regular disability insurance. So your regular disability insurance states that you, you would have to not be able to perform any work. So if you could yourself as a doctor go and flip burgers at McDonald's, but you can't go and do your pharmacy job, they'll still mandate you to go to McDonald's. Now, if it's the own occupation, that means that you could actually go to McDonald's, but still file for disability because you cannot be a pharmacist anymore. So, you know, you got to look into what is the exact policy. I mean, I had a client and I kid you not um, down in Columbus, Ohio, that it really shocked me. He was a professor, but he was also a surgeon. He could no longer do surgery. So he's actually collecting on disability until his age of 65, but then he was also a professor. So, I mean, this, this gentleman, I mean, his income was absolutely insane because he could no longer be a surgeon, which, I mean, he would have had a great paycheck for doing that, but that disability was providing income for that. And then 
Oh, by the way, he was also a professor, so he was collecting income from that as well. Yeah. So one of the things I wanted to get clear and something I recommend with my clients is, yes, it's essential for you to have an FA, but they're not the same as a CPA. So when you're looking at processing your documentation for taxes, that's more CPA. When you're looking at strategies and looking at how you're investing your money and how you're saving your money and some of these other financial planning and different insurance policies and analysis of those opportunities, that's where having an FA in your tool belt is really beneficial. It's also beneficial to make sure that you have someone who can help as you're starting your own practice, understand accounting and what software options you have, as well as different techniques to kind of streamline everything um, for the presentation to your CPA and and getting strategies with um, making sure that you're bookkeeping appropriately and you have some tools there to understand that because that's not something that we were necessarily taught in our clinical studies and we can definitely benefit from as we build and grow our own practices. So thank you for sharing. And me as a CFP, um, you know, I'm I'm a a certified financial planner and, you know, I really, really attest to having a CPA in, in the corner as well as part of your team, because, you know, you really want to have more than one leg stool, having them, having a CFP or a financial advisor, and then possibly an attorney um, in your corner is, is a great three-legged stool to, to make sure that, you know, yourself is set up correctly for your, your uh, company, that your taxes are set up correctly, and then that your estate is set up correctly as well. You know, Alex, one of the things that I realized recently is that, you know, oftentimes money is as an evil, you know, as something that's bad. But as I've been reading through the Bible, I've seen money come up a couple of times and it's not something that's talked about negatively. It's, you know, us working is a good thing and us earning uh, money to be able to provide for our families or to, you know, provide for our, our livestock or whatever it is that we we have under our care is important. And so um, one of the things you and I were discussing was the importance of turning around giving back and also setting aside money for um, gifting and the benefits of that with regard to fellowship and um, being involved in your community and being able to to have others grow with you as you grow too and it not be something that um, defines your life or that is used as uh, an indicator of your success. Like, your success doesn't have to be defined by a dollar sign. And I'm not saying it's it's not important to be to have set ambitions and goals, but not necessarily structuring your your definition of success around an idol, so to speak, um, and making money into a, an idol, and not um, having God as your focus for for purpose in life and your attainment of of a goal worthy of of His praise. What are your thoughts around that, and how is that translated into your own life? Uh, you know, I have great aspirations for even my own personal finances. I have them for my clients, but even my own. Um, but I don't have them for the material in which I'm going to, to purchase down the road or my retirement for that instance. Um, but it's more for the good that I can do in my own community as well. Um, you know, my wife and I on a yearly basis, I mean, we tithe, uh, you know, religiously we tithe. And we always have, even since we got married at 19. Yeah, we were crazy. We got married at 19. Um, but, you know, we, we've even since then have stuck money to the side in the savings account, even when we were dirt poor back then at 19 and, and full-time college students and working full-time, always set money to the side. And during the, the months that we're in, like right now in the Thanksgiving and Christmas, Christmas months, you know, we would sit there and we would bless families. I mean, their families, we had no clue who they were. And it wasn't like you're 
corporate angel trees that you, you know, would, would uh, donate to families. We would literally just ask a church and find who was, was really in need. And we would take them things, um, you know, back to when I was 20 as a full-time college student and a bank teller. Um, I mean, my goodness, my, my pay was not very uh, outstanding, if you will. Um, you know, we blessed a family of, of a woman that was disabled and her three boys with winter coats, backpacks and toys. And I think, you know, back then it was like, like two or 300 bucks, which I mean, to me as an accountant and a financial advisor really hurt. It really hurt, but the joy on those kids faces and we knew we were doing good. The, the hurt went away right, right, right then and there, it just melted. Um, and, and it's definitely something that I advocate for that, you know, my clients are, are good people, um, you know, and I'm helping them become financially successful. So that way they can get back in their community. Uh, because I really feel like once you feel like you're secure in your finances, um, and there there are some other people out there that, that feel the same way, that you can give like nobody else. And, mm-hmm. and that's really when you you start feeling those blessings. And I kid you not, we've, as a, as a, a person, have run into rough times in finances, even as a financial advisor, because of different things that have happened in our lives. And every step of the way, God has been there and has provided for us. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's important there to say, okay, well, the value that we provide when we give doesn't necessarily have to be just in donations. I know one church I was exploring in the area had it set on their screen in the welcome room that if your giving should be 10% of your earnings based on Old Testament scripture that had been twisted and misinterpreted and put on this screen. And I, I, uh, I questioned my pastor during our new member service um, meeting recently at another church that I've been going to. And I said, what are, what is your take on the amount at which your members should be, you know, contributing in donations? And said, listen, you know, sometimes there's seasons of plenty and sometimes there's seasons of scarcity. And that's really up to you as to what you can and can't do, but just being mindful of um, providing when you can. And, you know, we don't look to see if our members are contributing a certain dollar amount consistently. You know, we just trust that they're doing the best that they can, you know, to help each other out in fellowship. And that's really the type of church that I would encourage you to go to is one that's about um, family and fellowship and community outreach in a way that is honorable. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's definitely something. And also just, you know, sitting in a round circle with them at the, at my pastor's house in a hermeneutics class. And the conversation came up about one of our members being sick and another going there to be with them to spend time as a mm. valuable asset with them in sickness and to providing them with food and nourishment to get better and to, to revisit with us in church. And so just considering the value as we enter the holidays of spending time with people that you do or don't know and being there to support them in a community as well as being there to support those who don't have as much as Alex had expressed his ways of doing that with his family, which was truly a blessing to those that they were able to reach out to. So thank you all for your involvement in your communities, wherever you are. And I hope that you're inspired to do whatever it is that you can in whatever way that you can to support each other and lift each other up this season. So thank you. If we are interested in getting in contact with you, what are some of the different services that you provide and how do we reach you? Kind of a, I guess, a one-stop shop finance, right? So 
Um, pretty much anything but banking, I can I can help you with. Um, I look into retirement planning. I can look into college planning, um, large purchases, disability insurance, uh, making sure that your disability insurance is correct, life insurance. Um, you know, you, you name it, and I can help you with it. Uh, or you just want a plan done. I can give you the roadmap to financial success as well. So a multitude of different ways. You always can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's pretty much the easiest way to do it. Um, I also have an email, alexanderblack at financialguide.com. And I pretty much answer just about anybody. So you can get a hold of me three different ways. Definitely. I feel like having a financial advisor also provided me with a layer of accountability With being responsible with my decisions, I actually had my relationship set up where if I was making a large purchase, I would have to check in first to have my money removed um, from an external account um, that was being overseen. And that was a great second stop um, to make sure that I was being logical with my purchasing decisions. So having a financial advisor in your corner is definitely very beneficial. And like Alex expressed, you know, having a financial plan is important to find success um, with consistent saving, consistent investment where applicable and really making sure that you're on a path to sustainability. So thank you so much, Alex, for your time and for sharing with us some of these fun exercises in finance. Oh, definitely. And I mean, and just, just to finish too, is that, you know, a lot of people I think look at financial advisors as that we're, we only work with the wealthy, that you have to be wealthy to work with us. And, and I feel like that's a very bad nostalgia for the industry. I mean, there, there probably are those pompous people that won't work with just about anybody that only want the multimillionaires. Um, but a good financial planner like myself, and I have my CFP, I have an MBA, I have my CRPS. I mean, I'm very well credentialed, if you will. Um, you know, I do believe that there, everybody should have a financial plan. That's how you get there is by having somebody good in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Awesome. I look forward to it as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lickstick and More. Subscribe and follow us on YouTube and all the social media sites at Perfect Balance Healthcare or visit us anytime at pbh.life.